Hey, good morning, everybody. Am I on? There we go. Hey, it's, uh, it's great to be down here. Uh, give you greetings from uh, your brother, sister congregation downtown, and um, they love you guys. I know you love them, and just greet you, and excited uh, to bring you what the Lord has given me um, for you today. But I'm going to need your help, okay? Because uh, sometimes it's kind of hard coming into a crowd when you don't know, uh, you don't regularly teach that crowd. So uh, actually what I'm going to need you guys to do is if you would get up and everybody turn your chairs in the opposite direction because it's really making me nervous that y'all are watching me right now. So let's seriously, let's go ahead and do that. That's odd, you know, nobody's going to do it, is it? That's got to be a joke because nobody would be that weird. All right. Trust me, there are weird people in this world. And uh, we've been talking downtown. I know y'all been talking about it here is hope. And um, Renee and I had a chance to come a couple of weeks ago and um, kind of share our story about hope and how hope uh, really began to frame our marriage. And in doing so, God exploded on us his will, but also brought with that spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I um, encourage if you haven't heard that or you weren't here, you can go on the website and hear that sermon. But this is like the fourth sermon in this series on hope because it's really remarkable how we as Christians we have the privilege of letting our hope grow legs. And when our hope grows legs, it starts walking and it starts living and it starts really experiencing some extraordinary things, um, really an extraordinary life. And so I'd like to take us to Colossians chapter one because one of the questions I have, well, what does hope look like when it begins to walk? When it grows legs, what does it look like in your life um, as a believer? So why don't we start with Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, and just read a couple of passages here. For this reason, this is verse 9, since the day we heard about you, this is Paul talking about this uh, group of people. He's never actually visited these folks. He's in prison and he's writing them this letter because he's heard about this church that sprung up. And he says, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Renee and I talked about that a few weeks ago. We pray this in order. Or the reason that we're praying this, the reason that we want you to be filled with will, his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding, is so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now you can do this on your own private time, but if you go back, you'll see that there are really four things there that he's referring to when he says walk a life or live a life that's worthy of the Lord. The first is that we would be fruitful. The second is that we would grow in knowledge. The third, that we would live in power and strength and perseverance. And the final, the fourth one, is that we would, I don't remember, oh yeah, be thankful and joyful that our lives would be that way. So this week, uh, let's tackle the first two, and then next week we'll tackle the next two. Because it's really funny when we talk about fruit, or to have a fruitful life, what does that mean? Like, when I ask you, if I said, hey, how'd your week go? Was it fruity? We laugh because, like, really, seriously, is your life fruitful? 
I'm not just talking about profitable. I'm talking about in the spiritual sense, is your life fruitful? Because this is a huge deal in the Bible. I mean, no, seriously, guys, this is big. It is so big that you, almost, you can't disconnect being fruity with being a Christian. They are linked together. It's huge. All throughout the scripture, there are words like seed, trees, fruit, return on the harvest, growth. The Bible uses these illustrations all over the place. We wouldn't have time to read all the passages that refer to our lives being fruitful. Bam. All right. It's so interlinked together. I mean, seriously, we were talking about this downtown. It's like if you decided that you're in high school and you're going to join the cross-country team. Okay? Any of you ever do that in high school? Bless you. Wow. You know, then you guys could tell us if you came up here, if we said, so what do you do when you're on the cross-country team? Now, I don't, I don't want you guys to answer that. Let somebody who's never been on a cross-country team answer that question. <laughs> Duh. I mean, imagine showing up for the first day of, well, we're not going to call it practice because if you don't know what it's about, then you wouldn't call it practice. I'm going to the cross-country gathering, all right? And you showed up dressed like me. The coach would say, why aren't you ready to run? Imagine a shock when I would look at him and go, well, wait, wait, wait. I didn't understand that when I signed up for cross-country team, that actually meant that I had to run. So, like, seriously, if you're on the team, you have to run? I mean, that's outrageous for us to think about as much as it's outrageous for us to think that there would ever exist a Christian that is not also a fruit bearer. You, it's, it's, that's how insane it is. Well, if you don't believe me, listen to this. Romans chapter 7, this is verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another, to him who raised from the dead. Now, let's stop right there. If, you, if you're like me and sometimes you can't hear people reading, let me explain to you what I just read. If all you heard was, wah, 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 all right, was this. Christ came, died, rose again, set you free, and made you a believer. So, <laughs> that's where we are. So that we might bear fruit to God. Come on. I mean, seriously, get your head around that. Really? All of this happened so that I can be a fruit bearer? How about John chapter 15? Listen to verse 8. This is Jesus talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, in fact, yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will. You should underline that in your Bible. Will. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say could be. Oh, you've got great potential. You know, we'll see. It's not that. It's not in there. It says you <laughs> will produce, and underline this next word, much fruit. It's not we hope the best for you. Go get them, tiger. It's if you are a believer, you will produce much fruit. Really? I'll try John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you didn't choose me. Remember? I love that he put that in there. You guys remember that? Like somehow or another, you could find me. I chose you and put you in the world. Listen to this. 
to bear fruit. Fruit that wouldn't spoil. And now this is where it gets really cool. Because Jesus went and found them. He knew who they were. And he grabbed them and chose them. And in choosing them said, I am for you. This is my idea. All right? Listen to what he says. As fruit bearers. Now he's referring to them as fruit bearers. He gave them a nickname. I love that. Does anybody anybody have a nickname? Come on. Nobody? Yes, June, what's your nickname? Junebug, of course. You know, I've always wanted a nickname, but like I want a nickname that's like, like the hammer. You know what I mean? Like there's a guy that pitches for LSU's baseball team and his nickname is the Dreadlocks of Death. Uh, he's a closer. I'm like, that would, yes. <laughs> but like, like a nickname like Stinky, you just don't want that, all right? I'm just, just telling you right now. Gassy, no, you don't want that. As fruit bearers, he's given them a nickname. He says, listen to me, fruit bearers. Whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. That's the nature of a fruit bearer. What does that mean? We don't have time to talk about that today. Go research it. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling the parable of the sower and the seeds. You know, where he's casting the seeds, and some falls on rocky soil, and some falls among the thorns, but some falls on good soil. And when good seed lands on good soil, he says it produces a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. That's much fruit. So isn't that kind of crazy that we're sitting here this morning and in the next few minutes, I'm trying to convince you that you, were, you, you are a fruit bearer, but you probably had a hard time getting here this morning. Like you may even have a hard time tracking with what I'm saying right now. You may have already started sketching Spider-Man on your pad and he's swinging across you know, the room and you are a fruit bearer. Matter of fact, you were made for this. Let me try to illustrate this. I'm going to steal this illustration from David Needham. He wrote this book called Birthright. Christian, do you know who you are? And he talks about that our lives are like a tree. Wow, I could have taken that out of there, you know, because this is not the fruit of this tree, all right? It doesn't make plastic. Uh, It might surprise you. Oh, forget it. (laughs) Let's pretend. Do you all know what kind of tree this is? Does anybody? Chad, come and close us in prayer. I can't believe this, man. No, this is a, this is a dogwood. And, uh, but for today, we're going to pretend it's a crabapple tree, all right? Because I don't know what fruit a dogwood produces. I'm sure it produces something and, uh, you know, flowers or something. But let's say that this is a crabapple tree. If this is a crabapple tree and we planted it, what fruit would this produce? Thank you. All right, let's try that again. Just so we can understand, do we know what kind of fruit this would produce? Crab apples, right? Matter of fact, it would be crazy for anybody in this room, if we planted this crab apple tree, to expect it. I know it's a crab apple tree, but we're really hoping it's going to produce cherries this year. No, seriously, we are. As a community, we really hope that maybe it'll produce cherries this year, peaches next year, and oh, Oh, I love Gannets. They're this little grape-like fruit that you can get in Jamaica down in the Bahamas. I would love it if our tree made those. Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, it would even be crazier for us to start thinking as a community that we're going to will. We're going to have positive energy 
toward this crabapple tree to where this year we're going to think nothing cherry, 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 and it's going to produce cherries. Would it produce cherries? You know, as crazy as that we could, we could teach this tree everything about cherries. We could buy it all kinds of books, like how to pray the cherry prayer, you know, or, you know, how to expand the boundaries of your cherry, you know, or whatever. And we could have it read all these glorious books about cherries, and we could scatter cherries on the ground all around it. But would it still produce cherries? What would it produce? Crab apples. Because it's impossible for a crab apple tree to produce cherries. So what has to happen? Because this tree needs to produce a good fruit. The only way that we can get this crab apple tree to produce something other than crab apples is we've got to do something serious to it. Have you ever seen this? We have to come in and below the, the lowest stem, we have to amputate this tree's branches. <laughs> Uh-oh. Did I offend somebody? <laughs> then... <clears throat> We have to come in, and let's say that we've decided that the fruit that we want to produce, somebody, what's your favorite fruit? What? Pineapples, oranges. I, okay, we're, this is not a pineapple tree. We're going to go with, let's just say oranges. So we're going to produce oranges. So we're going we're gonna to take an orange tree, and we're going to, uh, we're going to, thank you. Didn't think you'd see that in church, did you? And we're going to actually graft into this crabapple tree a, a sprig from an orange tree. And actually, when we open it up and we place that in there to where the core of the sprig and the core of the trunk are touching, now the nutrients of this tree are actually going to flow through the roots and the trunk of this crabapple tree into this orange tree, and it's actually going to produce oranges. Isn't that kind of cool? Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Now remember, what I'm trying to convince you of is that if you're a Christian, you're a fruit producer. So I'm trying to convince you of. Look at verse 5. When we were united with him, and it's talking about Christ here, like this in his death this. Follow with my illustration, please. It took a lot of effort to do it, all right? When we were united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to crab apples or to sin, all right? Because anyone who has died of the crabapple branches has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live in him. He has been grafted into us. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. He is a living graft. Death no longer has mastery over me. Okay? It no longer has mastery over me. I lost my place. Hang on, I'll find it. For death, can, he cannot die again. Death no longer has master over me. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, 
he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, we're all fruit producers. But the Bible talks about that my life before Christ only produced a fruit of death. It produced a bitter fruit. It actually was a bad fruit. It says that you will know a tree by its fruits. A good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree, bad fruit. It's actually a dark, dark fruit. But when Christ came and he cut away my old life, he has now infused himself into me. He has been grafted into me and me into him. Galatians 2.20 actually puts it this way. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I don't live by the flesh. I don't live like I used to live. Now I live in faith in the one who loves me and gave himself for me. Y'all tracking with this? Is this too simplistic? Because here's the really cool stuff. This sprig, I, th I think there's another technical name for it, but I don't know what it is, I'm sorry. You know, this has everything it needs to start producing fruit. But at this stage, it's very young and it's tender. But it can grow to be a tree that is large and can produce all kinds of fruit. I don't know where you are on your stage. Maybe you're still in the old man stage. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you're still very young in your faith. Maybe you're a tree this morning that's producing lots of fruit. But let's talk about what this fruit looks like wherever you are on the stage. <laughs> we put these up here so that you can write the verses down if you want to go back and look at it and study it this week in your own private studies. I'm going to tell you why that's important in just a minute. But it's cool because one of the, the things that this fruit from this huge orange tree of Christ in me, the hope of glory, is praise. Is that my life begins to praise the Lord. I begin to make room in my life and exercise this fruit of giving glory to God through my words, through my deeds, through my actions, not just singing in here, but it's a mark of my life. It's, it's a plump fruit on my tree that I make room and practice praise. Another example is in Romans chapter 15 where it says giving money is a fruit of Christ being in me. And isn't that crazy because what happens is when I've been grafted into the new kingdom, my whole view of money changes. Now money isn't something that I hoard and keep so that I can secure myself and keep myself safe and get what I want. Now money becomes a tool in which now I can invest into the work of the kingdom. I'm a part of a new kingdom now. My money's not my own anymore. The Lord generously gives me things and blesses me and I can spend that money, but he also gives me the fruit of being able to give it away. Because now my life is not about me. It's not about getting it all for me. It's not about using things to bring me the stuff that only Jesus can give me, which is peace and joy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, says that the fruit, one of the fruits on our tree is godly living, that I begin to align my life to the character of God. You know what's really cool about that is because not only is praise a fruit, but also how I deal with money is a fruit. Think about this how you deal with your sexuality is a fruit. It's a fruit of the new kingdom. God invented sexuality. <laughs> yes, it is a good thing. And he blessed it. And now he says, hey, this could be a rich fruit in your life. Align your sexuality 
with what I've created for my own character. Does that make sense? So when I, when I say, man, I'm in this kingdom of God and I'm going to spend my money according to his grace and what he's leading me to do, but I'm also going to spend my sexuality in a way that's according to his mercy and grace. Wow, that's crazy. Is that me doing that? Okay. All right. Maybe that's my new, name, new nickname. What could that be? Snap, crack, the blaster. I like that better. The hammer, the blaster. How about the fruits of the Spirit? Hey, I'm not saying that these are the things that we squeeze out of our lives. Christ is in you. This is who he is, and this is what he brings to you. Listen to this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Renee and I first got married, we lived in this place. I won't take a lot of time to tell you about it, but you don't want to live there, all right? And it was just a rundown place, but a mouse had died underneath our refrigerator, and we couldn't get to it. And have you ever had uh, a rodent die in your house? And then about a week later, uh, everybody that walks in the door of your house goes, wow, that's lovely. That peach candle cannot hide the smell of death in your home. Seriously, you know? I mean, it just, it permeates everything. But take that illustration, hang on to it for a minute, all right? Now jump over here with me. And uh, about four years ago, my daughter and I decided we we're going to learn how to bake bread, all right? We were miserable failures at it. But let me tell you what we were six, uh, successful at was we got it in the oven. And do you know what baked bread smells like in your house? Okay, baked bread, dead rodent. All right. What I'm trying to say to this is I didn't have to put the bread in the oven and say, Lord, let's stop and pray. Lord, would you please let the bread smell this time? I didn't have to. Or go over here and go, the rodent is dead. Wow, do you think it's going to stink in a week? We didn't have to ask that question. We knew that our house was going to be filled with the aroma of the reality of what was in the house. When Christ is in the house, when he is in us, our lives, we, the aroma of that flows. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we participate in the Holy Spirit's work to bring others to the Father. I mean, seriously, guys, you know, Paul said to Timothy, be ready in season and out of season to give a defense for the hope that is within you that we get to play the role of saying to other people, my Savior lives, and he has given me new life, and he can give you new life. That's what our lives smell like, isn't it? So, how do we do that? You know, let me just first ask you, do you understand this? Are you catching this? Yeah? All right, there's the second point. We grow in knowledge. I was reading this week about Lance Armstrong. Uh, phenomenal. I don't know how much you know about Lance. He has won seven Tour de France's, or France's, or how do you say it? Tour de French. I don't know. French toast, maybe? Somebody just woke up. What? Tour de France. All right, France. France. Anyway. Uh, he's won seven consecutive tours. And this is really a remarkable feat. If you've never watched this on television... These guys spend three weeks and they travel 2,200 miles on their bicycles. 
I mean, that, that would be great. I was telling the folks downtown, I said, the only way that I could possibly dream of riding 2,200 miles on a bicycle is if it was all downhill and I just had to hang onto the handlebars, all right? And even then, it's questionable. I mean, seriously, think about not just finishing it, but think about dominating that sport for seven years. No one's ever done that before. Well, as you can imagine, a lot of people have raised a lot of questions about, oh, Lance, you know, is he human? Is he an alien? You know, what, what's wrong with this guy or what's right with this guy? So there was a team of doctors at the University of Texas at Austin that began to do studies on Lance back before he turned pro all the way through his career, even in the season when he had cancer. Here's what they discovered. Lance has an oversized heart that can beat over 200 times a minute. Now, for you and I, that would be death, all right? Typically, you know, when our heart rate gets to about 150, 160, we're, we're at max capacity. We, we can't breathe at that moment. You know, we're sucking air. He not only can, his heart can get to 200 times a minute, he can also sustain it. His VO2 max, which this is a term that's used to talk about the maximum amount of oxygen that his lungs can take in, it's an important measurement on endurance athletes because the higher the number, the greater the athlete. Because the more oxygen, oxygen you can get into your body, into your red blood cells, the more effective you're going to be for your muscles not to create lactic acid. So it's going to be able to sustain that high heart rate for a longer period of time. Did that sound really like I knew what I was talking about? Good, because I was probably all wrong about that. But it sounded important, so stay with me, all right? Incredible, isn't it? Because his VO2 is off the charts. His capacity to push oxygen into his bloodstream is phenomenal. Here's what's more phenomenal. As they did the study, they realized there was no difference between Lance's body and almost every other high-level professional cycler. The VO2 numbers were the same. The heart rate capacity, the same. So what's the difference? How could Lance Armstrong produce seven victories consecutive? <coughs> when asked, this doctor, Cole, said to the one that was interviewing him as a part of a National Geographic study, he's a genius when it comes to training. Really? He trains differently. So what is this whole knowledge of fruit and growing in knowledge? Is this, we need to train ourselves, guys. We need to be geniuses when it comes to training. And here's what's crazy. Training isn't just do it. Because in many senses, in every sense, it's been done. Our training as believers takes on a very different nature. Listen to this. This is in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. If you didn't hear that, what it said was, God is love. And that may not be anything new to you here this morning, where you're saying, ah, oh, yeah, okay, here we go. We're back to the simple. God is love. He loves you. He loves me. Great. 
But I want to challenge you with something this morning because have you taken the knowledge of God as love? Have you drunk it up through the roots of your life? Have you brought it up through this trunk? And are you feeding your walk with the Lord to where it is fruitful? Or are you stopping right here? Horticulturalists call this suckers. Suckers are any branches that come out of the crabapple tree below the graft. And here's what's crazy about crabapple tree suckers is any branches that grow underneath the graft, guess what they produce? Crab apples, all right? But every branch that grows underneath that takes important nutrients away from the development of the orange tree. So if you want a healthy orange tree producing the fruit that comes from the graft, you have to be careful to prune away those things underneath the graft that take life away. See, some of us think, well, God is love. And since God is love, man, he's just so great. You know, I don't really need to worry about these crabapple trees underneath the graft. I can really live my life however I want. Hey, God is love. Man, it doesn't matter what I do with my money. God's going to do his thing anyway. Crabapple. Man, God is love. I can live with my sexuality any way I want. I don't really need to align that to what God wants for me. Crabapple. He's going to forgive me? Come on, isn't God all forgiveness? And we use this truth, this knowledge that God is love to let it be an excuse to grow up our crabapple trees rather than letting it be the very platform in which we trim those things away and say, Lord, let me produce fruit of your kingdom. Listen to what uh, Romans chapter 6 says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, hey man, we got tons of grace. Where, great, where sin increases, grace increases even more. That God covers it all. Do we use that as an excuse to continue to not worry about the diligent training of trimming those things out of our lives that are inconsistent with being a believer of Christ? He says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, cut away, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We produce oranges. We produce the fruit of the kingdom. Matter of fact, we were so made for this. This now is our true nature. We are orange producers. Why? Because Christ is an orange producer. And Christ is in us the hope of glory. Why do we care for the lost? Because Christ cares for the lost. Why are we generous? Because Christ is generous. Why do, we, why do we praise? Because Christ praised the Father. Matter of fact, in Romans it says, we are being created in the image of Christ. Wow. So let me conclude with this. Hope walks. We are made to produce fruit. Let's grow in the knowledge of that and the understanding of that, that God's love for me is not an excuse to produce suckers. It's a, it's a, a really reason and the platform. I train myself in understanding it so I can produce the fruits of the kingdom that I'm loved and that we feed off the work of the Lord in our lives through Jesus Christ. Now we're about to come to the table. This is Communion Sunday. It's really appropriate. Because one of the things that we do to prune off those things that we know are not of the Lord is repentance. 
And in repentance, we must remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. That he's the one that has purchased us. He's the one that has caused our sins to be cast away as far as the east is from the west. So we're about to come to this table, but I really want to challenge you to examine your own life and to really ask yourself, Lord, you know, where am I living? Am I living below the graft or above the graft? Am I throwing my energies and my life into producing the fruits of the kingdom? Or have I been suckered into uh, living life underneath the graft and living in the suckers? And as we come to this table, we remember, don't we? And what do we remember? We remember his love for us. We remember his provision for us. We remember he's the one that sets us free. He's our hope, not our ability to figure it out. And yet he is here. So why don't we pray? I'll have a few words about communion and then we'll come in this time of worship, okay? Lord, we thank you that you're the one that came that we may have newness of life. I thank you, Father, that you are the one that did the work of cutting away that death from us and giving us your life. I thank you, Father, that uh, you did this, and this is remarkable, because you love us. Wow. Lord, just meet us now and guide us as we come to this table. Let us, Father, come and remember that because of that love, uh, you are present here. That you're not only present, but Lord, you are a healing present. That you want to bring the power of that healing to our lives today in repentance and restoration. So we welcome you here, Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. The man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's important how we come to this table. Um, let me just say a couple of things before we come. One, if you're not a Christ follower, if that's not a place you're at right now, um, you know, that's cool. We uh, really welcome you here. This community is a community of journeyers. Some are on uh, that part of the journey that they've not stepped into a relationship with Christ. If that's you, that's amazing, awesome. We'd love to talk to you more about that if you want. Uh, we've all been there. But if that is you, this table is not for you. So we would encourage you and even say we would need for you to stay where you are uh, and not come to this table. Um, this is a table for those that deeply need this table. I just encourage you not to. 
And then I have a word for those of you that do follow Christ, that if you're like me, uh, your life is not always clean, cut, and dry. Um, and this table is for very messy, inconsistent people. No doubt about it. If your life is in deep need of the Lord, then this table is for you. But if there is a part of your life where you're saying to the Lord, you know, I like this Jesus idea to a point. That God, you can have this, but all this over here, no, come on. I don't want to be crazy about this, you know. I want to really encourage you to stay where you are. That's what the Bible talks about when you eat and drink judgment on yourself as a believer. Because you're really saying to the Lord, I, I'm going to control how much you're getting in. The Lord says, no, that's not what love is. And you know that's not what love is, don't you? I mean, you don't get married to somebody and at the altar say, hey, if this all goes exactly how I want it to go, then I will pledge to you the next two years. Nobody says that at a wedding ceremony because that's not the nature of love. Love is I give you everything. It's all yours. I'm yours. I will serve you for, until death do us part. Right, the hammer. We know that, and that's what this love table is about too. So I encourage you as Christians that if there's a part of you that you say, I'm not sure I can give that to the Lord, it's a season of repentance and ask the Holy Spirit to come and meet you in that place um, and bring you to this table so that uh, you can experience his grace for you. Make sense? All right, let's pray. And then, um, Joel, you want to come up? Lord, thank you for this table. We pray you meet us here. Give us courage to remember. Awaken our souls, Lord. Deeply stir us with the reality of your body and your blood that was shed for us so that we can be set free, set free from death, but also brought to newness of life and that our lives would be like a tree planted by still waters and producing fruit in its season in and out. Thank you, Lord.